0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to discuss one of the uh, more, I think, um, mysterious and perhaps uh, perplexing um, aspects of of uh, the, the Torah right now. Um, specifically, I'm talking about the plagues uh, that 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 Hashem brought um, to to take the Jews out of out of Egypt, and you know the, the the plagues are very, very famous they, there, were, there were ten of them, and you know they begin with the the Nile River turning to blood, water turning to blood, and not just not just from the Nile, if anyone had a, a glass of water that that would turn into blood and there were, there were all sorts of miracles, uh, frogs just absolutely filling the land of egypt. Um, there were lice and boils and and and, and hail coming down that was giant chunks of ice that were simultaneously on fire, and these two things, which can't exist together, nonetheless did. Um, The death, of course, of the Egyptian firstborn, and not only that, but the firstborn of all cattle and animals. Um, Darkness, but not just darkness. Darkness um, where if uh, uh, a Jew walked into uh, an Egyptian home that was filled with darkness, it would simultaneously be light for him and yet remain dark. So that these, these opposites, which are coexisting simultaneously, is, you know, just one, one aspect of it. And, and, you know, just a, a mass dying of, of animals and, and, and a plague of locusts coming in. I think that's 10 by now. But but that's that's in no special order, as they say. That's that's sort of just an overview of the plagues. So, so the question is, why? What, what what's going on? And now I want to sort of compound the, the 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 mysteriousness of this, or the the difficulty of grasping this, because the plagues are introduced in 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 um, in Parshas Vayera. And that begins, that parsha begins very famously with Hashem speaking to Moshe and, uh, you know, there's, there's just been a, like an epic level confrontation between God and Moshe, basically, where um, a lot of unwritten things that, that, that aren't, uh, that the rabbis report and the Ramban brings out that, that aren't actually in the text, but are in the text. They're just not very well known. Um, you have to look into the, the deeper sources to find this part of the narrative, meaning to say that Moshe Rabbeinu um, is, is, is put on this mission to, to free the Jews from Egypt. And of course, he gets charged with this mission from God at the burning bush. And if you read the account of the burning bush, it looks like it, it was a pretty quick conversation. And yet the uh, Talmud tells you that that, that Moshe said no to God. I don't want this job for a period of seven days. Seven days long. Very, very interesting. Then when Moshe finally goes and, and takes the job and confronts Paro, all of a sudden Paro makes everything worse for the Jews in Egypt. So it actually gets worse. And now Moshe turns to God and says, what are you doing? Why did you send me? And why did you make it worse for them? So this is very, very strong that Moshe is speaking to God in this way. And now here's the amazing piece of information, um, which again, if you want to see this inside, look at the, look in the Ramban at the end of the Parsha, at the end of Parsha Shmos. you'll see this with your own eyes. He brings these teachings that say that Moshe then left Egypt for a period of up to six months, he just left. In other words, it was like he checked out, said, I'm sorry, God, if this is this is what it is, I'm sorry, am not going to do this. And Hashem gets him back on board. So I think that this is an, such an important teaching, which I, I, I never hear anyone say over, but it's it's right there. You know, the, all the sources are glot kosher. You know, you just you can see them for, with your own eyes. I, I think that it 's a very important teaching for people to hear this because you have to understand that Moshe was not some kind of mythological figure that he was not you know some kind of superman he was a human being like we 're human beings and and he this is how he reacted to the stress of this situation so so it, I think it allows us to be a little bit forgiving of ourselves in terms of our own um Stressful moments and crises, and yet Moshe never stopped expecting the absolute most from himself, and so we can't either. In other words, sometimes there are approaches that people take, I'll give you the form of this in terms of halakha, they, where everyone wants to take the most lenient opinions of of the most number of rabbis. <laughs> I'll take your lenient opinion and your lenient opinion and your lenient opinion, and it's sort of like, okay, that's that's one approach. But really, it's sort of like if we just take the lenient opinion that, that Moshe left Egypt, okay, that, that, but we're not hearing the whole story. Moshe also was Moshe Rabbeinu. He never stopped working through his issues and expecting the most of himself. So, so if we want to take this teaching in context, we have to hear that part of it as well. Um, so so anyway, I'm just sort of setting up the, the thing that I want to focus in on. So now Hashem comes back to Moshe, and now Moshe has, is back in Egypt at this point, so Moshe has, you know, we, we don't have all the details of how uh, Moshe sort of like re-accepted the job and everything like this. That, that, that's, that's something we have to look into more, how he gets back on the, on the job. And Hashem says to him, um, he says, up until now, and this is the, this is the beginning of, of the Parsha, Vayera. he says, up until now, I have made myself known with the name El Shaddai, okay, if I say over the course of our teaching, Kel Shakai, that's the same name, okay, just maybe a more reverential way of saying it, but, um, I made myself known through this name to the Avos, meaning Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to reveal a deeper aspect of myself to you, Moshe, with this name Yudke Vavke. That's Yud and He and Vav and He, which is the ultimate name of God, also known as the Tetragrammaton. It's a contraction of was, is, and will be. It's an expression of absolute infinity. And not only that, but it's also an expression of rachamim, which means compassion. Okay? So just, let me just pause for one moment. Or actually, let me complete this thought and then just give you a little bit more background. So just so you have the question in mind, I told you that I want to explore the, the plagues, also known as the makos. I want to explore, like, what role they played and why Hashem brought them. And I want to bring it in the most, sort of the broadest kind of cosmic kind of canvas for us to get insight into what was going on. But my question that I want to focus in on, and we're going to see some, hopefully some very, very deep ideas come out of this, is the, the following observation. Isn't it interesting... That the introduction, the parsha in the in the Torah that introduces the plagues, right, which seem to be highly destructive and are highly destructive, it destroys Egypt, right. At the same time that this parsha, which introduces the plagues, begins with God giving over His most compassionate name, the yud Vovke. So how are we to understand this this seeming Tension, right? So, so we're going to explore this more fully. So, before we get get into this, I want to um, uh, explain something. I, I, I always think that whenever we get into trying to compare and contrast different names in the Torah of Hashem, that it's very important to give this introduction. So, if you've heard it, um, it's it's important to review it. So, so there are There are those who have um, really uh, a very um, superficial and uh, highly incorrect understanding of the way the Torah works and what and what the torah is and um, unfortunately that's the majority of people who who try to understand the torah you see just just to pause for one moment the the five books themselves are about two inches thick. And yet we say that this is the repository of all of reality. <laughs> so how can a book that's two inches thick hold all of reality? So the answer is is that it's written in such a way where it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And one must have very special tools and methodologies in terms of revealing the utmost depths that are contained in here. But what I'm asking you to understand is to accept as a premise that there are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers 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 contained within the Torah text itself. That you have to accept that as a given, because that is in fact the reality. So so there are those who don't understand at all, who say, ah, Here you see God is called by this name in this book, and he's called by this name in this book. Therefore, we're talking about two different texts over two different periods of history that were weaved together. So this is nonsense. This is is complete ignorance. And what is actually going on is that you've got two different aspects of the way God interacts with creation being highlighted and focused in on. So, for instance... My name is David. So, so some people, my, my son's uh, classmates sometimes call me Mr. Sachs. So, maybe if you were a, uh, a failed archaeologist, <laughs> you would say, Ah, David and Mr. Sachs, two different people. <laughs> Clearly, called by two different names, right? Then, on a good day, my wife might call me Honey, right? Honey, David, Mr. Sachs three different people. We have proof. It's right here, black and white. Right? So you see that what's happening is that here I am being contextualized. There's a context in terms of understanding how I'm interacting with whoever I'm interacting or whoever's interacting with me. And so there's a different name to describe that level of interaction. So, so it's true, or even more so, with the names of God in the Torah. Different names are highlighting different aspects of interaction. Okay. So now, let's uh, let's get back in terms of uh, the subject matter. And let me reintroduce what we're discussing right now. We're trying to understand what role the plagues played, the makos, that means plagues, what role the makos played in terms of what God's work in terms of reality is, okay? And the second, to try to understand the question, how could it be that God introduces his ultimate name, his deepest name, which hadn't been revealed in creation yet in a meaningful way, the Yudke Vavke, in the very same chapter, in the very same Torah portion, that these very highly destructive plagues are being uh, Put on on the world, on Egypt. Especially when this name, the Yudke Vavke, signals compassion. Okay, so these are these are the questions we're dealing with. So now let me take two steps back and give us a framework to begin to understand this discussion. And it comes from a teaching um, from the Arim. He was one of the greatest Hasidic masters and uh, he, he was the founder of the Ger uh, dynasty. So all the Ger Chasidis comes from really the Chedusha Arim. And um, he was really like a contemporary of the Kutzka Rebbe. And this is from the line of Pshisk. Okay. So, so the Chedusha Arim says something very, very interesting. He says that, that you have a narrative in terms of the history Of creation going on here which begins now remember whenever in the Torah you have the same number that's alerting you that there is a a similar concept that's being explored okay so we have all sorts of tens going on right now so the first is the ten utterances of creation God created the world with ten utterances he spoke the world in creation into creation or as Rib Shlomo says he sang the world into creation. All right? So that's the ten utterances. Then, so, so then come the ten makos, the ten plagues. And after that come the ten commandments, the revelation of the Torah. So this is one narrative. So the Chedusha Arim says the following, something very interesting. First comes the ten utterances of creation. God Creates the world and and like in the Garden of Eden, before everything gets mucked up over the generations with with idol worship and and all sorts of um, materiality and 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 just uh, just sort of uh, selfishness and and things like that which which obscure god 's role in creation, so what happened was these ten utterances, which were sort of like testimony to to, to God's creating the world get all corroded, essentially. And our consciousness gets radically lowered where we're no longer able to see the, the hand and the presence of God in this world. God becomes increasingly concealed, largely through the mistakes that we make in our own free choice. And so since our perception influences how we see reality, because we've dropped so low, we no longer see what's actually real in the world. We see our own self-motivated reality because we're just pursuing our desires. So now comes along the ten plagues. And the ten plagues are coming to chip away all of the corrosive effects, all the clipot, all the shells all the barriers and impediments to perception and understanding God's hand in the world. So, so, and then, once God is once again revealed in the world through the plagues, that he's the creator of all things, then all of a sudden comes the revelation of the Torah to restore the world back to the way it was initially at the time of creation. This is what the Chidush HaRim is saying. This, And of course, there's a deeper level too, but we're not going to get into it. But just to have it in the back of your mind, all this correlates with the ten sefirot as well. Okay? In other words, because that's the fundamental building block, the fundamental map of creation. So all of this is happening simultaneously. So again, just to review very quickly, the ten utterances, God creates the world. It gets covered over through idol worship and everything else. The ten makos, the ten plagues, are chipping away all those klipot, all those barriers to understanding, revealing the hand of God. And then comes the Ten Commandments, which is the whole Torah, the giving of the Torah, coming to restore creation back to its initial place. This is the chadusha Okay. Now I want to get more into this. I want to get more into this. I want to approach it from a slightly different angle. I want to build on this thought. Because, bless you. Because I want to I want to point out something, and God willing, we'll be able to stay on track and get to the answer to this question. You see, you can say if I'm, you can say that the that the Torah that we receive now brings creation back to to the level of where it was, right? With the Ten Commandments. But what about the fact that the Torah existed before the world was created? What about the fact that it says in the Talmud that 974 generations before the world was created, the Torah existed? Meaning to say that God's will for creation, that's the Torah before it was created, is God's intention for creation. God had an intention, a design for creation before He created it. If you embark on a huge project, if you want to build a ship, you don't just build it as you go along. You have a plan in mind for it. So that that blueprint, that desire for what you want to do, that was the Torah before the world was created. Okay? So so it seems that, that something deeper is going on. That not only when we get the Torah is the world returning back to when it was created, but that we're getting an even deeper understanding to before the world was created, right? Because the Torah existed before the world was created. Okay, so hopefully we'll get a chance to explore this dimension as well. But now now I want to uh, approach this from a, a different angle. And we're still on the same topic. We're trying to figure out what role the makos played and why it is that this name of God, Yudke Vavke, which stands for compassion, is introduced at the same time as the plagues. This infinite name of God. And if we go to the initial passage in the Torah, so this is the beginning of Parsha's Veera, and this is chapter 6, verse 2 in in Exodus and Shmos. It says, God spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am Hashem, that's yud- Yudke Vavke. I appear to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov as El Shaddai. But with my name Hashem, that's Yudke Vavke, I did not make myself known to them. So, so I want to contrast these two names, El Shaddai and Yudke Vavke, for a moment to show you how Yudke Vovke is an escalation in terms of revelation. Now, now I have to thank Ari for, for pointing out something very amazing, which is that the gematria of the name Moshe is the same to the number, the same gematria as El Shaddai. And now God says, I spoke to the Avos, to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov with this name El Shaddai, and now I'm revealing to you Yudke Vavke. So what I would like to, I'd like to understand that gematria, the fact that Moshe and El Shaddai are equal, in terms of number, in the following way. That Moshe as a baseline level of consciousness was starting where the Avos were. In other words, just like God revealed this level of revelation to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov with this name, El Shaddai. Moshe, whose name equals El Shaddai, started from this baseline of consciousness that Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did. And now, Hashem is going to deepen his consciousness. That's how I would like to understand that gematria. Okay. Now, this name, Shaddai, is very, very interesting because our tradition is that when God created the universe, and this correlates astonishingly well with the Big Bang Theory, but we've had this tradition for thousands of years, which is that God brought the world initially into being, the physical universe, with a a single point, like the size of a mustard seed, a tiny little point. This was the foundation stone of the Beis Hamikdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem, and then he expanded it and expanded it and expanded it, which by the way tells you that the entire world is made out of the fabric of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Right? The entire world is made from this same DNA as the Beis Migdash, it's a phenomenal thought in itself, until God used the words used the word Shaddai. When God said that, that is translated as enough and that put parameters on the physical universe. So so let's now take, now that we know sort of the the context of how this name was used, and by the way, just an observation, which I think is sort of interesting, is that every mezuzah on a doorpost has the letter Shin on it, or sometimes says this name of God, Shaddai. And if you think about it, well, just like the universe expanded and then God said this name and it stopped, a room's borders are determined by where the mezuzah is, and there is that name of God saying, "Enough, enough to this room. This is where the room ends." So you see, in a very real, everyday way, you're walking in and out of rooms with mezuzas all the time. You see how you're interacting with this very concept of the creation of the universe. It's it's very, very phenomenal, actually. You know, to see how. Practical and real, it is a part of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. Now, now, from here you see that there's this concept of parameters and limitation. That's the point that I want to make. And and yet, now Hashem is saying to Moshe, I am now reviewing this name, Yudkei Vavkei, to you, which is this aspect of the infinite. Okay? So in other words, we can now go back we can now go back to our first question and now we're going to get our first answer for it. But we're going to go deeper than this stuff. Which is, how could it be that the plagues which brought, you know, all of this havoc, right? Is being introduced with this name Yudke Vavke, which is the infinite. Okay. So, so... So I'd like to suggest the following answer. Which is, as we said from the Chedush from the ger that God created the world with ten utterances, and then they got encrusted with klipot, with shells, with, with barriers, so that we couldn't perceive God. And now come the ten plagues to shatter... All of this, all of these barriers, and to reveal the hand of God. So up until now, God is interacting with our greatest people with this name Kel Shaddai, with this, with this aspect of revelation, but with this aspect of revelation which has parameters and limitations. And now just like the makos are coming to reveal God, now God is introducing this name, Yudke Vavke, this infinite, deeper revelation of God, which is coming to break away the parameters of even this previous revelation of Kel Shaddai. So there's a very exact parallel going on here. Now, now we can begin to discuss what I really want to discuss, (laughs) which is a whole other question. But you'll see now we've done our homework so we can get into this. Here's the question. How How does God, who is infinite, share his infinity with us? In other words, God now is introducing this name to us. At a very interesting time in history, the Jews, you know, millions of Jews are horribly enslaved, and now God is giving us this name, Yudke Vavke. How, how does God, who is infinite, how does someone, not someone, but how does God, who is infinite, share his infinity with finite creatures? Because by definition, if we're finite, that means that we can't hold revelations of, of the infinite. So that sounds like a a, a very challenging sort of proposition. In other words, how do you fit an ocean into a cup? You can't can't fit an ocean into a cup. So let me speak out this question a little bit more in the language of the Ramchal. The Ramchal in Derech Hashem says the following, that God sought to share the ultimate good with his creation, so what is the ultimate good? God Himself. So God wanted to share the ultimate good in the ultimate way with his creation. So, so again, we have this challenge: How does God, who's in infinite, give of Himself to in the in the highest way to us who are finite? How do we receive it? And now, I'd like to try to make it make sense. Okay? So I'm going to give a very, very simple example. But I think in this simple example, I hope to begin to communicate what I'm trying to get across right now. You see, everything is context. You need context to understand. So imagine there's a baby, a newborn baby. Okay, Now imagine you have the top chef in the entire world, right? Everyone acknowledges he is the top chef in the entire world. And you have this chef making his most gourmet food for a baby who's never tasted anything before. The baby has no way of appreciating the fact that this is the single finest food in the entire world. It can't. It has no reference point. It can't. Okay. So now, imagine, so that's like, just so you understand what I'm saying, that's like God in us. The infinite and the finite. Like, how, if we just plunge ourselves into the infinite, we have no reference point to, to understand what it is exactly. Okay. Now I'm going to give you another example. Imagine You know, like regular pretzels. I'm talking about those little, you know, the little pretzels with the salt on it, right? Nothing fancy here, just your basic pretzel, okay? So imagine there's a person and he's being fed these pretzels and only these pretzels for, say, the first 20 years of his life. That's all that he's getting. Okay. Just go with the example. So all he knows is this pretzel. That's the only taste that he knows. Now you present him, after twenty years of just that, you present him with a glass of orange juice. And he goes, drinks the orange juice? He goes, Oh, this is this is unbelievable. There's such a thing as liquids? I thought all there was was solids then he goes and it's sweet it's amazing there's such a thing as sweetness I thought all that existed was saltiness then imagine later you give him some (laughs) jello he goes wow this jello is like amazing it's not liquid but it's not quite solid either And again, his mind starts expanding amazingly. Like there's a whole nother realm out there that I can begin to understand exists. So on a deeper level, I think this is what was happening with the makos, with the plagues. We understood a certain level of revelation a certain level of reality, a certain level of nature. And what God did was he systematically exploded every single one of our concepts of what was possible and what nature was and what the extent of God's guidance in our lives was. And at this point, through the servitude, through the fact that we had hit absolute rock bottom, and the fact that it seemed like there was no hope even, that we were just in this prison of reality and enslavement and nature and everything like this, all of a sudden, every single one of these plagues comes and explodes and expands our understanding of who God is and what God is capable of doing, and all of a sudden we're being acquainted with the infinite in a way that we never could before because we realize systematically from the water all the way up to the sky to the highest, to the highest places with darkness, right? Darkness come that's blotting out the sun, starts off down even with, with lice, something as tiny as lice, all the way up to the sun. God is showing, and then even life and death itself, which is beyond this world, all of a sudden we're seeing that every single aspect of reality God controls. And that God's involved in every single, every single iota of our lives. And we're given a perspective of that and an appreciation of that because we've been acquainted with limitation in the deepest way. And now we can grasp, now we can grasp, who God is on some level, and what God is. So the makos are coming. The makos are coming. The plagues are coming to to get rid of all these clipot blocking our perception of God. This name, Yudke Vavke, is coming to expand upon and shatter this name, Kel Shakai, which means borders and limitations. And now we've got this open revelation for God to give us the Torah now. The Oseris Adibros, the Ten Sayings, the Torah itself. But now when we receive the Torah, we're not just getting back to the beginning of creation. Now God is giving us the tools to see before the world was created even because now we're equipped with a concept of the infinite, which is going to allow us to see past all limitations and natural barriers, and to be acquainted with that which is beyond this world as well. So... So this is this is this is my understanding. This is my understanding. So, so to return back to the question, how could it be that the, the that this that this that the name of God in its most compassion, Yudke Vovke, is coming at the same time as the plagues? Well the answer is, is that the plagues is coming to acquaint us with the infinite quality of God and we have to know in our own lives we have to know in our own lives this very lesson that god can absolutely do anything at any time that there are no limitations on god and that's why the whole leaving of egypt is something that we live with every single day you know it's 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 a torah mitzvah actually that when one says the the Shema at night—that one has in mind, leaving Egypt. When we say the third paragraph, the paragraph with Tzitzis in it, you're supposed to remember. And you'll see in 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 in, in prayer books, you'll see there's a little note: Have in mind, God took us out of Egypt. This shows you that this concept of leaving Egypt is something that we're supposed to live with every single day. I heard in the name of the nativah Shalom, the the, the Slonim Rebbe. That every Shabbos that comes... Remember on Shabbos when we make Kiddush, we talk about leaving Egypt. If you think about it, the, the work week is like Egypt. And when Shabbos comes, that's like God is taking us out of Egypt. That's an amazing thing. There's, there's, there's this level of redemption that we physically experience every single week. That's Shabbos. That's being taken out of Egypt. That's an amazing, that's an amazing thing. Any time any salvation happens to you in your life. You get a parking space. You've been taken out of Egypt. <laughs> because in this is the utmost expression of, 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 of God sort of shattering all sorts of barriers to perception and acquainting us with the infinite. And now, now I want to develop this thought another step. So, there's a very famous teaching. I, I, I don't know the source of it, but it's a very old teaching. And um, it has to do with the word mitzvah. And I'm bringing it up right now because I want to go a little bit further into understanding this idea that the that God created the world with ten utterances and then the ten makos, the ten plagues, came to to shatter all the klippot that surrounded the perception of God, and then the Ten Commandments comes, the Torah comes and gives us the mitzvot, gives us this concept of mitzvah to come and to connect, not just to creation as it was beforehand, but to give us a perception of that which is even beyond beyond creation, the infinite. So you see it in this word mitzvah, because because mitzvah is the, it's um, it's it's translated as commandment. This is um, one of the great tragedies of um. Of Judaism today is that the word mitzvah is is translated as commandment because there's so many uh, associations that are negative that that comes with this translation, which is God as a taskmaster with a. A whip that he's holding over us, and it's, it's a very problematic translation. It means a connection. The, the actual literal translation is a, a connection. Each one of these mitzvot are connecting us with God. Uh, Reb Shlomo Karlbach defines it as, or translated as, divine pathways. Each mitzvah is a divine pathway that we walk down in order to connect with God same idea but a different type of visualization but the word itself mitzvah is very very interesting because it correlates very strongly you'll see with this with this name of god yudke vavke which we're exploring this infinite name of god but you see the thing is is that you see some very interesting metaphysical dynamics which i'm going to get into in a moment with comparing the word yudke vavke the name of god and the word mitzvah in a moment, because we can't fully connect on the level of yud Vovke. because only God is God. Only God is infinite. And as, or put another way, what God said to Moshe, he said, no one can see my face and live. Because if you're looking at creation from God's point of view, in the ultimate sense, then at that point you're God. Right? So only God is God. So how do we how do we, I'm saying that God is giving over this name to us, the Yudke Vavke, through the revelation of the Torah, through shattering, through shattering uh, all sorts of barriers. And yet at the same time, how can we connect to God, right, when only God is God? So, So that's the question we're dealing with right now. And we see this question answered in this phenomenal correlation between the word, between the name of God Yudke Vavke, and the word mitzvah, okay so let me um let me tell you what the the connection is um, uh, okay, hang on one second <laughs> hello. Okay, um, so what is what is this connection between the word mitzvah and yuntke vavke? So we have something known as um, it's a, a a system. I, I, I referred earlier um, uh, in the talk to the fact that the 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 Torah itself, the chumash itself, is two inches thick. How do you fit all of reality in two inches? So so the answer is is that the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And so there is something called tzimtzum. Tzimtzum means a, uh, God is compressing, 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 compressing something very great into something very small. So God is taking his infinite light, and it's one spectrum of energy. The light, or that's not God himself, that's an aspect of God, God is taking this aspect of his light and then condensing, condensing, condensing until he gets to the physical universe, until he gets to the Torah itself. Okay. This is known as Simson. It's one aspect of tzimtzum. So, So one of the methodologies in understanding the infinity of the Torah is called atbash. Now, atbash is a system of letter exchange that, that the Gomorrah tells us about on um, Daph, Kuf, Dalit in Gomorrah Shabbos. And as you'll see in a moment, the page itself, Kuf and Dalit is an Atbash, which is, I think, very funny. But anyway. <laughs> um, so how does Atbash work? So just to give you a refresher course on Atbash, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, And if you put 11 on one level, and below that, the next 11 letters, right? And you kind of curve it around, so it's one continuous line, 11 on top, and then 11 below. So that underneath the very first letter of the alphabet, you have the very last letter of the alphabet. And you have the second letter of the alphabet, and underneath that, the second to last letter of the alphabet, Okay? And now you can take a word and you can exchange them above to below. Above to below or below to above. Okay? So so that's where the name Atbash comes from. The first letter of the olive base is olive. And then you have tough, at. That spells at. And the second letter of the olive base is Bez. And the second to last is shin. That's bash. At So it's giving you a visualization of the system of letter exchange. Okay, everyone follow? Okay. Now, we have the name of God. Yud and He. Uh, Imagine it going from above to below. Okay, and this is kind of like a map of the cosmos also. We have Yud and He below that, and then Vav and He. Okay, now the Yud and the He refer to the highest dimensions of spirituality, the highest dimensions of life. This is really beyond this world, dimensions beyond this world, okay? Now, if you, and then the bottom two letters, Vav and He, really, that's already the bottom letter He. All the Rebbes, all the Kabbalists say that bottom letter He of Hashem's name stands for this dimension that we're in right now also known as Olamasiyah, the world of action. Okay, that's the bottom He. And then the Vav is sort of connecting this world to the higher dimensions. But that which is revealed, so to speak, to the extent that we can say revealed, that which is revealed to us is the bottom two letters, the Vav and the He. Okay? Now listen to this. If you take the letter Yud and He, and you find their correlation in Atbash, the correlation for the letter Yud is the letter Mem. The correlation for the letter He is the letter tsadi. All of a sudden, the name of God, yud k Vovke, gets transformed to the name Mitzvah. And what I'd like to suggest is that this I've never seen this written, but it seems to make sense to me that this form of atbash is a form of tzimtzum, that it's a form of being mitsamseim, the essence of God down into this world. So in other words, what? Now we have an answer to our question. How could it be if only God is God And the infinite is beyond even us. If we're saying that God, through the Torah, gave us a connection to the infinite, but how can it truly be infinite if only God is infinite? So there must be some correlation, but at at the same time some type of separation that has to exist simultaneously, where we're actually connecting to God. Remember the word mitzvah means a connection. Where we're actually connecting to God but at the same time, we understand his utmost mastery and the fact that he'll always be above us. So comes the answer, this word mitzvah, where the highest revelations of godliness, the yud and the hey, in this name of God, yudke vavke, right, the highest levels get brought down through this through this act of tzimtzum, through and through the way that we can grasp through the system of Atbash, where the Yud and the He become Mem and Sadi, and so the essence of God, our ability to connect through Him, is revealed as this word, mitzvah. Am I communicating? Yeah. So this makes me want to do mitzvahs. Because if you're telling me that there's a way, a metaphysical path to which I, in my limitation, can connect to the infinite, how can I not do this? And that God is giving me the pathway and giving me the structure and giving me the tools through which me, in my finite state, I can come as close as possible to connecting to God himself in his infinity, this is the destiny of the world. And to the extent that we do it and that we create a critical mass of attaching ourselves to the infinite, the infinite comes down and explodes this reality and brings it up to this level that we call tikkun olam, the fixing of the world. Because every time you do a mitzvah and you bind yourself to the infinite, you make yourself a conduit for the infinite to flow down through you into this world, thus transforming the entire world. So when we talk about Hashem shechting the Yetzirah, God getting rid of evil, all barriers and everything like that, that's the same idea. Is that by channeling infinity into this world, We remove this world of all limitation and all obstacle. Okay, let's start there.